Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. Uh, I have got a guy that I've uh, followed along with for a long time on on TV. Somebody I think super funny, very intelligent uh, when it comes to archery. The great T Bone Turner. Thanks for coming on. Oh, absolutely, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, I guess I'll send you a check for twenty or thirty bucks for the the accolades. There, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have, I followed you along for. A long time now. You you used to. You're from Georgia. You used to run a pro shop or work at a pro shop down there, didn't you? Or do you still help out off and on? No, I I uh, I, I worked at one for a while, and then I opened my own. So I had my own uh, archery outdoor store for about twelve years, and then I sold it in two thousand and six. And I have a shop in my basement, but it's not like open to the public. It's just my wife said we built our house, and I built the diagram to the house. Uh, it's got to be at least. 80 feet long for the indoor range, and then uh, I was want to have a shop. And she said, "Well, you sold the shop. Why would you, you know, why would you have a shop?" And I'm like, "It's it's basically an archery dojo. I'm gonna always tinker with archery till the day I die. I mean, even if I was dipping septic tanks for a living, I'm still gonna be messing with archery." Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm yes, I'm the same way. Um, obviously, I don't need. Uh, the bow press now shooting the stick, um, which simplified things a little bit. But yeah, same way every place I've had, I've generally had a pretty much everything you need as far as the bow press. And um, I, the technology's come a long, long ways. I remember I had to sell all my, not all, but well, yeah, I had two bow presses, the, those old apples. And then they went yes. past parallel limbs, and those were pretty much worthless after that point. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I, I keep uh, I got two of them when I had my shop. I kept two of the old apples because uh, a lot of the crossbows you can still press them with that style press. So, you know, if I got buddies or something, you never know. Uh, I I still work on forty or fifty or set up quite a few bows every year. And uh, you know, like some of my buddies are won't change, they won't upgrade. They've got bows that are fifteen or twenty years old, and I still have to work on them. So I got an apple press around, maybe more or less, just so that I could. Uh, uh, have it in the museum one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kid. They last forever. There's not anything really can go wrong. I had to place the rollers on them one, one on one of mine once, but that was about that was about it. But I same thing working on everybody's bows and I moved a few times. They get dinged up, but they're pretty much uh, indestructible for the most part. I got that uh, X Press once, which was just way smarter than than me i uh that thing was a pain in the butt for me unbelievable bow press but i uh i like that i think it's called the hercules um or last chance i guess the last chance press i think is one i um am using more now or whatever when i work on bows they got them at the shop and that thing's pretty much foolproof but um it uh exactly what i do yeah well you can't really screw anything up uh, as long as you get the basics right which is nice and it'll do just about if you have those little attachments, it'll do just about any any uh, limb configuration I've come up with. But I uh, hey, here's a question for you because we're gonna just uh, basically shoot the ship for the next hour, uh, and really I have nothing to accomplish here other than to talk with you. With uh, technology, sure. so you've shot Hoyt for a long time, but worked on several different bows. I get this question a lot, and and I'm not against people buying new bows every year i mean obviously we're working the outdoor industry but like one of the best bows i ever shot uh was a hoyt ultra tech is one of my most favorites i don't shoot really any higher scores today i know technology has advanced obviously you get the bow smoother it's uh you know a lot of them are easier to tune adjustments but 
Um, how much do you think percentage-wise in the last 10 years technology has changed in, in, in archery when it comes to just bows? Well, it seems like it's uh, something different every year. And, and to go back on what you said, uh, yeah, actually, one of the, the Ultratechs, I've been with Hoyt for 21 or 22 years, and the Ultratech stands out as definitely one of my top three bows, too. Um, as a hunting bow, I like that Alpha Max pretty well, too. But, um, yeah, it, it's always something different. It's almost like I feel like the archery companies, whether it be Hoyt or, or what have you, they, they've got uh, several innovations um, that they want to bring out each year. They don't, you know, release everything that they got just so that they can. Um, I think that what we're doing is we're achieving the speeds with the, the, the bows are way more efficient so that you're not having to have such a harsh pull. And I agree with you. Know, the scores don't seem to be astronomically climbing or shooting, you know, big time better, but it's like the bows are able to do the same speed, the same energy with less, um, not having to work as hard. You don't hear uh, of any, uh, hardly any limb failures or bows blowing up like you used to 15, 20 years ago. I mean, bow failures or, or bow breakdowns are about a thing of the past just because they are so efficient. And then they're making it efficient uh, same speeds and stuff, but it's able to do it where it's a lot more comfortable, uh, you know, with parallel limbs and sub-parallel limbs, the energy is transferred up and down so that the the, the, the bow has uh, hardly any shock in your hand, it doesn't want to lunge forward, uh, stabilizers are more just for weight distribution, not necessarily for absorbing energy, so, you know, each of those little things, uh, each year you're splitting hairs and it's just making things more comfortable. It's no different than a, you know, a 55 Cadillac from A to B, but it sure is nice driving one of those new Chevrolet Silverados. It's just a, uh, you know, niceties of uh, all the things that they've innovated. Yeah, no, and I would agree with you because that's more or less how I answer uh, when guys ask, um, you know, the draw cycle, uh, not, and not on all new bows. Some of them still have a horrible draw cycle, but for the most part, with the good companies and the good bows, you're going to have a smoother draw cycle. You're going to have a lot less vibration. Um, you know, in, in some ways, um, you know, you get the roller guard, for example, um, you know, compared to the old cable slide with the Teflon. And, you know, that would eat away cable sometimes. You don't get cables eaten away uh, like with the roller guard. You know, then you started to get into adjustable roller guards where you can add or take away tension on some different bows. And, and some you just don't need that. Um, and, and, and what I try to explain to people is, <laughs> look, there's no doubt there's something better or something newer. Um, quantifying it for the last two to three years, what's changed Sometimes it's just a matter of personal preference. There's bows three years ago I didn't like, and then there's bows that I like today from the same company. Whatever they changed, I like better from today's bow. That doesn't mean it was a bad company three years ago. It just means that specific model didn't seem to me like one maybe two years prior or two years ahead of time, and it seems to be like that with everyone. One one bow may stick out in one guy's mind how, how, how it fits them specifically. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it is a. There, there are so many different models and and so many different configurations. Uh, that, that's the that's the cool thing about archery. It's kind of tailored made to your physique and your type of hunt, type of uh, archery that you're going to be doing. And there's just so many to choose from. So, you know, if you can make your experience, uh, you know, better as far as like a smoother draw cycle, like you said, a shorter axle to axle, 
uh, may fit your apex on the screen, may fit your frame better, uh, more adjustability, uh, something to where you don't have to take it to the shop and get a whole new cam on there. All these little things, like like I said, it's just splitting hairs and and uh, makes it nicer. And to me, one of the biggest things that I've, I'm proud that the companies are doing are making bows quieter. Um, no matter how you know speed sales, we all know that just because of us being guys and you know machoism. But at the end of the day, you can't make a bow too quiet. Um, you know uh, th- that's the number one reason, in my opinion, that that animals are you know uh, you know dropping or so to speak, and it's because um, you know the bow the bows are making noise. The arrows they can hear the arrow bearing down on them, and uh, you know, by making one quiet, uh, it, it's going to give you a, a, an added advantage. So I, I really do like the fact that they're making them less vibrations with the same speeds and same energies, but uh, quieter. You can't make one too quiet. No, for for sure. And I, I try to. Yeah, I man, I, I'm sure you're. Well, how old are you now? We got to be close to the same age. Oh no, I, I I've, I've got you by a lot. Um, I everybody always. I mean, I, I not to sound arrogant, but everybody guesses I'm a lot younger than what I am. But I <laughs> always tell them the fat pushes the wrinkles out. But. <laughs> well, but, uh, no, I, I'm, what are the I'm digits, 50, man? Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, you got my yeah. by eight years. What do you say? What do you 50. say? Yeah. Oh damn. Well, you look good for your age. <laughs> yeah, you do, man. I figured you were like forty, forty-one, forty-two, maybe. So yeah, you're good. That's fat, what everybody. Uh, the fat pushes the wrinkles out. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just turned 50 this year. I'll be 51 in August. Cool. Well, the one thing I'm sure, I mean, I don't know, it would, being 50, I'm sure you went through it too. You know, I went through the aluminums and the big veins, and then I went to aluminum, small veins, and then carbons and a speed freak and kind of went full circle. And now I just try to impress upon people, don't worry about the speed. Just make sure your bow's quiet. You're not going to shoot faster than the speed of sound anyway. And I tell you, your deer down there, I don't know about in Georgia, but in Alabama, those are cracked out like they've been hunted by tigers their whole life. And that is where like a quiet bow is, is you really notice like the difference more than, than other well, I mean, axis deer, stuff like that, or that maybe in Hawaii and, and, and coos deer, things, cows deer, whatever you want to call them. But the the quiet bow, like I'm like, dude, I'd rather you shoot a 250, 60 feet per second bow that's silent than 290 that sounds like a hand cannon. Because um, I think they'll be more effective, more lethal with the the quiet, slower bow. And and that's what I've found anyway. Oh, absolutely. I um, These deer down here in the southeast, and not to say that, you know, all deer – have their, um, you, you know, and that's what I like about white-tailed deer, too. But, the, yeah, in the south, you're right. They're meth heads down here. They're cracked out, and they're tweaking all the time. So, uh, yeah, you, you almost have to, I, I tell everybody, keep it in the lower third, aim at the top of the heart. Um, you know, if you if you execute a good shot, you're going to cut its heart out, and nine times out of ten, though, it's going to drop or jump. And, I, you know, like you can't have a bow that's too quiet. And I, I always use the saying, a, a slow hit is way better than a fast miss. So, Make sure that uh, you, you know you have a bow that is performing well, that's accurate, that's forgiving, and and is quiet. is way more important than trying to reach that 320, 330, 340 feet per second. Which I mean, back in the day, um, Frank has to hear me talk about the days of old occasionally. You know, uh, shooting 
uh, tournaments, you know, 280 was the, well, except IBO, but 280 was kind of the, the blueprint. That was your speed limit. That's what my hunting bows were based off of. And I've kind of gotten used to, used to that speed. Obviously, shooting a stick bow now is different, but um you know i always tried 265 to 280 um i shot 80 pounds a ton 85 pounds so i was up in that 550 to 600 grain arrow range and the heavier i got my you know arrow the quieter it would it would get obviously and and for whitetails i didn't need that but the one thing that was really a like an eye-opener for me was how much I've passed through how many animals with a bow shooting 180 feet per second out of my recurve compared to all the different things I kind of went through with a compound, meaning light arrows and mechanicals and things like that. And I, I'm a fan of mechanicals for the right bow. I, they do great. But, you know, for for guys that really, I, I don't think you could quantify it. I'd be interested to your take. When you go from 260 to 290, I would say the pain in the ass of tuning a bow has increased by at least half to get a broadhead to fly right. Um, I mean, by all means, disagree with me if you don't think so. How much of a gap, how much of a pain do you think it is when you get past that 260, 70, 80 range to tune a broadhead? Yeah, and it's funny. Those numbers you're spitting out is exactly what I, I noticed, too. So, uh, you know, not to kiss your tail or nothing, I'm, I'm agreeing <laughs> with you totally. 280 is about the threshold. Once you get above three, 280, um, things have to be way more on point. You know, you need to make sure that your brace height and the, 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 the reflex geometry, or you need more of a straight riser or deflex so that it doesn't magnify the flaws in your form. And then also, uh, especially if you don't have a really tight aerodynamic broadhead, um, when you're trying to tune that broadhead, uh, index it and tune the broadhead, it just magnifies the flaws in your form. And, uh, you're, you're really gonna, it, it's like, uh, yeah, you're gaining speed and you're gaining tightness on the pin gap, but, but we all have great range finders and, you know, for the most part, anything that's under, um, you know, the only time, you know, under 35 yards, you're fine as far as that speed goes. You're not going to see a big difference in speed until you get beyond 40 yards. That's where your pin gap will tighten up. Once you get to that 310, 320, 330 feet per second. So, you know, a good happy medium is if you can get a real heavy arrow, something 500, 600 grain arrows, you know, uh, flying 260 to 280, 285. Um, that that's a good um, a, a good happy medium in all ranges. It's quiet, it's forgiving. Um, yeah, but but to tune a broadhead, it, it just makes you want to pull your hair out as far as once you get over that because uh, you know it's like rudders on the front of the arrow. The, if it's not tuned or perfectly aligned, uh, you know you can put the biggest flexion you want to on the back to try to re-steer it, but it's just going to make it want to dip and dive and your groups are going to open up your confidence is going to go down um and if you're if you're hung up on that well i gotta shoot 320 you're going down the wrong rabbit hole you need to be thinking of you know again accuracy quietness forgiveness um higher grained weight arrow to get more penetration um you know if you lay out all the pros and cons um you you know it's going to lead you right back like you said earlier, building, I've built bows where I've hunted with 340 feet per second with extremely light arrows all the way down to hunting, you know, with 80 pounds and a real heavy arrow at 240. And, and I can assure you that, you know, like you said, something between the 250 to 285 mark, a good heavy arrow is by far where I feel uh, the most confident and at home. 
Mm. What are you spitting out this year? What bow and uh, arrow setup are you thinking you're going to run for, for 19? Well, I'm shooting the RX-3 uh, right now, uh, the carbon one. Um, and then uh, Hoyt is sending me the, the Helix, which is the same geometry version, but it's actually the aluminumizer, the machined aluminumizer. Uh, to, to hear them talk and, and looking at it, you know, I haven't played with it, so I don't want to give it exactly, you know, what I think about it, but it's their best their best aluminum riser since before the Alpha Max, so I'm pretty excited about playing with that. Um, the aluminum is, they've got the aluminum weight down to almost as light as the carbon one, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, Arrow-wise, um, I'm playing with a bunch of different ones. I've got some victory arrows that I'm, that I'm playing with. I like the fact that you can weight the front end so much on those, and then as well as my tried and true for years has always been the ACC. Um, I take in... Where do you find them at? Dang it. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, uh, when I've been with Easton for quite some time. We're, we're, we're not with any arrow company now, but um, right when I heard that they were doing away with them, I stockpiled them big time. You bastard. So I, uh, you took them from me. That's my favorite arrow, 371s. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm one size underneath you on that, the 360, and I uh, always make sure I cut the unibushing out of the pack, and then I put the H series knock in the back end and then I use the uh, the brass insert so I can get my FOC you know up mass weight and FOC up so now that that 360 um, pro hunter has always been my my go-to I, I love that era and um, and then I, I don't know if you was able to go to the ATA but uh, Easton has a shaft coming out called a T64 and I'm not sure if you've heard of it but it is a uh, it's a taper shaft, so it's, the FOC is already built in, so you have no bushings. Uh, it'll take an H uh, insert, which is six millimeter on the front end, four millimeter on the back end. Um, so you can't give a, a weight grain weight per inch because it changes throughout. But you can cut from the front or cut from the back. Naturally, if you want to keep the mass weight up, you cut from only the back, and then it takes a four millimeter which would be a large groove G-series knock in the back end, and then you put an H-series uh, insert in the front. Of course, I would go with the brass, and uh, it, it's pretty heavy. It's a full metal jacket uh, uh, configuration, so it's carbon on the inside, aluminum on the outside, so I'm very, very uh, intrigued by that. I can't wait to play with those to see what I come up with as far as uh, spine, how they perform, but it's right up my alley. I'd... I'd you know, I mean, I know there's several folks out there that's been screaming about FOC, you know, uh, for years and years, and I, I feel like I've, you know, I'm I'm one of those guys. I've been talking that for a long time. Uh, I, I heard your uh, podcast with Dr. Ashby, and uh, I've been a, a a friend of his for quite some time. So I've been on the FOC bandwagon for years and years and years. I was lucky enough that uh, he's friends with someone uh, in the next town over from where I'm at. So when I had my store, a couple different times he'd come and hang out and we'd, you know, do dinner, and and I was just a sponge just listening to everything he had to say. And, of course, I've read most everything he's written uh, cover to cover. So big fan of what Dr. Ashby has to say and, and uh, um, you know, FOC and extreme FOC. I'm a big fan of that. Definitely. I, uh, I've always shot pretty high FOC, um, you know, 175 to 225 up. Well, I say always for a long time on my compounds. I, uh, I definitely try to caution guys where, where I get a little 
twist it up and try to explain to guys is is don't get so hung up on extreme FOC if it um, if you start to uh, you know, if if you hit speed bumps on the way of aero flight, so let's say you hit 21% or 18% FOC or whatever, and going up 3%, which is a lot when you get high up into FOC, your aero flight goes to hell in a handbasket or your tune. Don't stress out about it that much. Just get good FOC, get as high as you can with good aero flight, because from what I used to shoot, like the standard, and you know how it goes, you know, 13-grain aluminum insert and 100-grain tip was pretty much what any pro shop was kicking out the door to what I know now is like, man, I wouldn't ever want to shoot that little up front. But when you, I get guys, I do get guys shooting 300 grains up front on a compound bow with horrible aero flight, and I'm like, man, don't worry about having 300. If you've got two, 225, you are still... And, and I'd be interested in your take on that. You know, you're still in the money. You still got good FOC. It may not be hitting extreme, but it's still pretty dang high. And uh, there's got to be a, a happy medium in there where you don't compromise aero flight and still have good FOC. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. Meaning, uh, you know, some of the things that Dr. Ashby talks about is getting you close to, you know, the high 20s, 30%, 35%. And, you know, if you're you know, shooting recurves, longbows, or things like that, and you're shooting dangerous game, really huge animals, I can see tweaking to get to that point. Um, my overall is I like to tell folks to try to achieve 15% to the max, like 22%. That seems to work good. The biggest thing is with with the FOC becoming such a hot topic now, I see people just throwing weight up front and not even considering the spine of the arrow. So what happens is, is with a compound... You end up putting so much mass weight up there, and you're getting the weight where you want it. You think you're doing a good thing when all you're doing is that arrow energy is when the bow energy is transferred to the arrow. Your, you know, the spine is so weak because you have so much weight up in the in the front end. So the the, the arrow spine is not handling what you're giving to it. So unfortunately, a lot of these tune charts don't don't yeah. compensate. <laughs> Yeah, they're not even close. Yeah. No, I and I do. I poke fun at FOC not because I poke fun at Ashby because I agree with it. I poke fun of it because people don't understand the concept of it. Because it's like, guys, look, you can't take your bow that was tuned with a hundred grain tip and a four hundred spine arrow and magically pop two twenty five up front and it's going to help. You, you, you've got to be able to kind of. And again, I like your take on this blueprint, it, and, and, and that's what I call it, is you need to look at, okay, I want to shoot 250 feet per second. I want to have as high a FOC I can. Don't have a percentage in your mind. Just know you want it to be high. And then figure Five. out at 250, your arrow needs to weigh, let's say, 540 to 570 grains. You can, well, I know you can, but I mean, most people, if you talk to a guy that knows what he's doing, he's going to be able to figure out uh, the correct spine, correct point weight, close to the correct arrow length to get you at that that blueprint you had in the beginning. But you got to have a plan before you dive into that. If you don't have a plan, you're going to end up pissing away a lot of money on arrows that don't fly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, that, that arrow is just going to, you know, in, in my opinion, and I've, I've yet, you know, talking to different arrow companies and stuff, you know how they always talk uh, 
I always tell people if you are going down the FOC route and the heavier point weight, whether it be insert or point or broadhead or what have you, is always go at least, at least one, whatever the tune chart says, go at least one size larger than that. And that gives you some, a little bit of room to play with on your weight up there. You know, sometimes you may have to go two. But I've, I've yet to, with a compound, with a release and a shoot-through style right, uh, a rest, you know, which is anything like a drop-away, a whisker biscuit or what have you, um, you know, a lot of tune charts tell you, you know, hey, your air is too weak, hey, your air is too stiff. In my opinion, now, I, I realize that there is a problem with too stiff if you're a finger shooter because of Archer's Paradox and, and you know, Recurve is a, a different tune altogether. But for, like I said, a, re- a, a release and a shoot-through style rest, it, it has been my understanding or my take is you can't have an arrow too stiff. Once you get an arrow that is stiff enough to absorb the energy the bow is giving, um, it, it, too stiff is not really a problem. Uh, if, it, if it is, it's minute. But, um, Man, you know, I, it, I agree. It, <laughs> yeah, you have an arrow too stiff. Once you got an arrow that is absorbing the energy, then... Uh, you know, it's not going to be a problem if it's, if it's too stiff. Then you can then you can play with the front weight, and, and that's what we're trying to achieve anyway. So a lot of people say, well, I want to shoot that 400 spine because it only weighs, you know, 8.5 grains per inch. Well, no, we're trying to build a heavy arrow, so go go stiffer, and then we can weight, the you know, the front end the way you want to, too, and you know that the spine is going to handle it. So, um, you know, I, I'm hoping that with these bows being so efficient, it's coming full circle, where people are not trying to get the, the the Ferrari out there, and they're taking this energy that and efficiency that these bows have, and they're trying to harness it with the most forgiving and best performing arrow that they possibly can, and realize, like you and I are talking about, the 250 to 285 is the magic number. Those are those are great numbers. You know, you don't have to have 340 foot a second at, by no means. Yeah, and and I definitely cater a little more towards an evenly weighted. Uh, when I say evenly weighted, I like good front of center. I don't. I definitely don't push on my setups extreme front of center. I I just haven't had the best of luck with extreme. But when I say that, keep in mind before I'm taken out of context, when you, whether you're anything in in North America for the most part. You're, you're going to hit a point to where you're really kind of a picking the, the ass out of a pepper. You, you, if you're pumping a 550-grain arrow with 16 to 18% FOC at 265 feet per second, you pretty much can shoot whatever you want, minus maybe dangerous game. And even then, with the right broadhead, it's it arguable how well you would do. But because guys get wrapped up around on speed sometimes and everything, like I said, there's got to be a happy medium. And I have not – that the EFOC is almost impossible to hit when I say above 24 5%. It is almost impossible to hit with a modern compound without – really reinventing the wheel now you you may have had better luck with it than me but just because of the spine um and what the arrow ends up weighing most guys are going to get bored with lobbing logs and if you get extreme foc on a compound your arrow is going to weigh so much by the time that you do people aren't going to be real happy pumping 220 230 out of their bow feet per second when you don't need it compared to 
still, you know, deduct eight to ten percent, still having that eight eighteen percent front of center, you're still having a very lethal setup. And I and I try to keep that, you know, kind of remind guys of that. Like, dude, you're hunting whitetails. What the hell you want? Yeah. You know, twenty seven percent front of center for good lord. No, I, I, you, you. I mean, it sounded like me, me talking. I mean, that's what I run. I've got a five hundred and forty grain era. I'm shooting about. 278 and it's uh, 17.9 foc um that has that has been magic for me now i have played around you know and i say extreme i throw that uh, me extreme is like over 21 percent so if once you get over 21 percent that to me classifies extreme but yeah you're right with the arrow choices that we have today it's hard to achieve that with a compound setup absolutely really hard to achieve that um you know and i've i've uh you know, as far as weighted arrows and stuff like that, um, you've probably experimented with this, like uh, putting sand in the shaft. and It's a pain um, in the butt. You know, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And then I've tried water. Uh, the, the most successful thing I have as far as weighting an arrow has been weed eater cord because it stays consistent, you know, and it can't fluctuate like sand can. But weed eater cord works good. So I've, I've done all kinds of things to, to weight the shaft and, uh, you know, like I said, it's like the, the the mad scientist laboratory down there, but I always like playing around. But I always come back that uh, the best shooting setup, the most forgiving setup, um, and, it, and it, something with higher FOC and or mass weight would probably penetrate well. But we got to, you know, in realization, anything walking North America, uh, you're going to have a, a, a great killing era. I mean, it's going to do everything that you want it to do. If you, like you said, 525 to 600 grain arrow, um, and, you know, depending on your draw length and your arrow length and whatever, and then you get a, a FOC in that, you know, at least 15 to 20, 20 range is going to be excellent. I mean, it's going to knock down anything on North America. If you're going Cape Buffalo or, or you know, Rhino or Tippo or something like that, absolutely, yeah, you're going to want to rethink the wheel, but, but that's just an extreme case. Most everything we hunt over here the era that you and I are talking about will, will do the job fantastically. Yeah, and even, you know, you get down into like the 11 to 13, which is still higher than what most guys used to run when you're talking about those super fast setups. When you're probably at 175 up front, 150 when you're at, you know, obviously I'm generalizing, but, um, you know, with with that, you're getting there. That's not a horrible setup at 13%, and then it's not, you know, most what stops guys from going over that, because I ran, I probably at third, I never checked my FOC before. I just knew I had a pile of weight up front and I was happy. But um, the speed is what stops guys from getting over that 11 to 13. You know, you get hung up on speed and you're like, oh, I'm going to go below 280. Well, if you can bump it up a little bit more, it's certainly not going to hurt anything, and it's probably going to be you know easier to tune. I find these guys, and I make jokes all the time. God created mechanicals uh, for people who can't tune correctly, and and yeah, there's nothing wrong with a mechanical. I I love them, um, but <laughs> you, you definitely want to have good momentum when you're shooting a mechanical. Um, That's and, right. And the the smaller fletching thing, you know, I got wrapped up trying to shoot inch and three quarter fletches. Uh, for a long time with with my compound and I don't I I understand it's the cool thing to do but I kind of got to a point there towards the end I was shooting AAE Max Stealths and and uh, 
Bain text, things like that. And I was um, you know, shooting two and three, four fletch, two and three quarter inch. Um, you know, m- mostly I wanted 10, um, you know, nine, 10 inches or more of total fletch just to help stabilize that head a little bit more. Again, I'm generalizing, but it's not, I did not notice that much wind drift with those four fletch. And it was such a far shot to begin with where I did really notice it. And it helped the stabilization of the broadhead, again, generalizing here, um, so much better than if I shot inch and three quarter or something like that. And I don't know if I made sense to that, but do you agree with that? Or do you did you have different kind of findings? No, um, I, I always, uh, this is my findings on fletchings. Um, I've always been a fan of a, like a two and three quarter to a three inch, a three inch flex fletch. It's oh, Flex favorite. Fletch, you brought up old school. <laughs> yeah, but man, but I'm telling you, they're, they're still, I, I'm, I, I know they don't do a ton as far as pushing or marketing, but man, they have their niche. That is a very high quality vein. The AAEs, just, you know, the, the those are really good veins, something that's rigid. One that I've been playing around with uh, is a recon uh, vein. They've, they've I've been playing with prototypes for about a year and a half now, but they're just now hitting the market this year. But that is an excellent. That's what I'll be shooting uh, coming forward. No, no sponsor, no nothing. Just like the vein, you know. It's not like you're gonna you're gonna get wealthy with a vein endorsement. No, yeah. you won't from a feather <laughs> but, uh, endorsement either. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, with that said, I'm gonna shoot what I like, and this recon has two different types of material. The vein is a different material than what the base is. So it's more pliable and it wraps around the shaft. It's it's pretty nice. But the, going back to the flex flex, it was cool. I think the reason why a short like a blazer vein, you know, the 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 water vein is the to, first one I used. Do you remember that when they yeah. they were all over the tournament scene? They're giving them away those little dur veins. Oh yeah, and then they had the savage. They came out with the <laughs> savage vein, which is a little <laughs> yeah, your duty one. Absolutely, but um, the the, the I think. The, the common hunter, Billy Joe Lunch Bucket, liked the two-inch vein because all the tournament shooters shot the short veins. I'm going to steal so that from you, by the way. What's that? I'm going to steal Billy Joe Lunch Bucket from you <laughs> from here on out. I'll, I'll make sure and give you credit. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm taking that one. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so anyway, the, the average guy, uh, you know, he, he would shoot, you know, because all the veins are the, we call them Lucy's when you go to Walmart and you buy the one era and it's already got four-inch veins on there. You look like the common guy when you shot the four-inch veins. Well, to all your buddies in your neighborhood, if you had the two-inch veins, it was like all of a sudden you're a pro staffer, you're a tournament shooter. You look more authentic. You look like more like what you. That, that's the take, my take on it. But anyway, people like the smaller veins on the back, not because of they didn't know what they did or, or however, but it just made them look cooler, like you, like we had said. But it's been my finding that the. The shorter veins with the higher profile had more flap. So once you get the vein that's higher away from the shaft, um, it had more air noise. So I personally liked a lower profile. You have more surface area on the shaft, um, and you have more surface area of vein for steering, but lower profile but longer. So I like a a 3-inch vein, and it's been quieter in flight, and it seems like it steers a little better. I put about a one to two degree offset on it. I'm not a fan of straight fletch. Um, you know, you want some spin on the arrow uh, by all means, and uh, a one or degree, uh, one or two degree offset for the vein on a three inch vein has been phenomenal for me. And I've I've noticed here 
the past year and a half I've been playing a shield style cut is better for long range accuracy than a parabolic style. Um, I've noticed that and it is quieter um, at longer distances. Well, I mean it's quieter throughout the whole flight, but I've noticed that you don't you don't hear the arrow bearing down so much. I always give the analogy that I think the deer hears the bow for one thing because of the speed of sound. But I almost feel like you know when you're out in the yard and you got a bee or a mosquito coming towards your your head, you can you know you hear it bearing down on you. I feel like the deer almost hear the arrow. You know, I mean, it, it's just a natural response. The deer is just like saying something's happening. I'm getting the hell out of here. But nonetheless, I think it's a it's a bearing down type sound. So the quieter in flight, the quieter the bow. You know, all of these things are splitting hairs, but it's all doing it in the right direction. Definitely. I want to cover something real quick just because people get a little bit confused on because I shoot a straight clamp, but that doesn't mean I shoot a straight fletch. And uh, I'll kind of explain it and you can throw your two cents in. I shoot a clamp that has no helical to it. Now, I say that on my compound. I didn't I did not shoot helical. Uh, meaning a curved fletch on my compound arrows because I just didn't need to. I, I do on my stick bow, but I'm talking about a compound. I would shoot a clamp that would fletch uh, straight, but then I would angle that, and that's what T-Bone was talking about. I would offset it. You know, I, I just I actually maxed mine out. I would get as much as I could. It was probably closer to 3 degrees um, right. with a straight fletch. So it wasn't straight down the shaft. You want that shaft to turn. You want it to do circles, and you will not— really get that with a straight fletch if it's not offset so when i say i flex with straight fletch offset that means it's angled on the arrow and that's what creates the the arrow to spin i just never needed helical on my the bows are so efficient and everything else i just didn't need helical and i I hadn't used helical for years now i'm i've got five inches of chicken feather wrapped around my arrow on my my stick bow um now are you not shooting helical for the same reasons? You just didn't need to, or a different reason? It's, it, it's, I mean, honestly, Aaron, this is the first time that you've, you and I have had a lengthy conversation, but it's like you've climbed in my head. I mean, I do the same thing. Um, we got two big-ass brains here. Two big brains. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's the same, it seems like. But the uh, No, I use a straight clamp, um, and, and it's... To my understanding, and I guess we'd have to go back, but the, the Bitsenberger jig, the reason that is helical and the word helical gets used wrong, in my opinion, helical is to to kind of engulf the feather. Way back when, before veins, they made that jig where it has a helical and it wraps around so that it would, the feathers have a natural helical to them. You know, that's why we have a right wing and a left wing. And I, I feel like the helical was made to just embrace and grab the feather in its natural pose and apply it to the arrow in, in a curved fashion because we know one's going to spin to the right, one's going to spin to the left. The straight clamp is uh, what um, grabs the vein better because the natural position of a vein is straight. It's just absolutely straight so it fits in the clamp better. And then by changing the degree of offset, no matter which brand of fletching jig you use, then you're absolutely uh, putting an offset like a blade on a, a ceiling fan so that you give it just a little bit of a pitch um, to where it will rotate. So you don't need the helical clamp 
to do veins at all because they're in my I don't think there is a helical vein out there. It's just a straight vein, and you can put them on there with the helical, but you're forcing that vein inside of a helical clamp to twist. You can do it, but you don't you don't need it in my opinion. You just need a straight clamp. It, it seems like it fleshes better that way, and then set it up with a one two or you know a three degree offset depending on how much rotation you want and how many rotations you know per per foot or what have you. But um, helical is is only used in my book for feathers, for recurve shooting, or anytime you're applying feathers to the to shaft. That's that's the only reason I would ever use a helical style clamp. I learned from Tom Clum, you know, from the beginning, and he shot yeah. four and five inch feathers, and he had a helical, and I've already already had, you know, I already had a pile of bits and burgers, so I was like, all right, easy enough. I bought a helical clamp, I set it up, and I thought, you know, I'm just gonna screw around with this a little bit, figure out what I like, and as I did that, you know, if I I, I screwed around initially with. Uh, offset and I screwed around initially with four inch, whatever. Anyway, I finally just five inch. That's what Tom said. That's what worked for me. It stabilized the arrow and it really corrected it when you, I, I know you shoot a recurve, but you know, sometimes you get a little ginchy and the deer's coming in and you claw the living shit out of the string. That yeah. giant chicken feather on that thing corrects that quicker compared to, I've tried to shoot four three inch and I've thought about going to four four inch just because I'm not shooting far right a lot of the stuff you and I are talking about now where the minutia of the detail right where you're really like breaking down the tune to a minute level that with a compound is important at all distances but you really see it at that 60, 70, 80, out to 100, where you're changing the degree of offset, the inch and three quarter up to three inch, the point weight, that's where you really see the difference or where I have, especially in wind and things like that, where I can't shoot that far with the stick. So my main priority is 40 yards and in, no matter what happens, my broadhead stabilized. Where... Yep little bit different with the compound and I and I'm I'm one of those a-holes that I have shot animals pretty far away where at that now I'm worried a lot more about wind drift um you know where I didn't worry I don't worry about wind drift as much because I'm not shooting as far with a stick where if I'm reaching out there and touching something at that 60 70 80 range okay well you really notice like heavier point weight bucks the wind better you really notice yep a fat shaft is going to drag a lot more in wind than a skinny shaft. Um, and and, and I, I guess I'm only saying that so people make sure they understand what we're talking about. With the the stick bow, I am just not shooting far enough to where I worry about the feathers, that, that big giant feather on the end. I just want it to stabilize. And because I have a crappy release sometimes, I'm worried more about, inside of 30 with a broadhead on by far than with a compound my release is always not always but money for the most part technology right it, 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 and so I, I'm not worried about some of the things on a compound that I do with a, a sticker vice versa yep two totally different tunes and uh, you know I agree with you wholeheartedly a, a lot of people have, you know I, I, like we talked about that cool factor people going to the two inch vein if we're trans you know if we're talking about a recurve setup. A lot of people are wanting to, you know, develop a new mousetrap. You know, have four, uh, you know, four four inch fletches or four three inch fletches. Just developing a better mousetrap. Me personally, I like shooting off the shelf. I see a lot of guys shooting recurves with flipper rests or whatever. It's always been with me. 
I like shooting off the shelf. It's, it's my theory, or maybe it's just something that I like, and I see a lot of people shoot it, is I want that arrow the closest to the top of my hand as possible so it doesn't magnify the flaws in my form. As far as, you know, you're canting the bow, you always have a natural can as a recurve shooter. And then with four flex, with four flex, I know, you know, you, you're gonna, you're more apt to have clearance issues, especially shooting off the rest. And then uh, I like a three flex, five inch feather. Uh, and I shoot. My man. Uh, a lot of <laughs> Yeah. Five inch feathers and I shoot right, right wing. Um, and, and the only reason I shoot right wing versus left wing, everybody's, you know, when I had a store, they would always ask, why right wing over left wing? And I'm, and I like, honestly, it, one spins one way, one spins the other. Uh, you know, they, they think that it was invented. You know, a lot of people forget that a feather is a real feather. There's two sides to a turkey, so you've got one right wing, one left wing, and, you know, you're, you're going to have an abundance of either one. So, and I've always noticed that left wing feathers were cheaper than right wings because there's more, always more left wing than right wing. But some guys used to say that you shoot a left wing because you want it to spin as it comes off the bow to give you more clearance. Left wing shooters would shoot would be left handed shooters and right wing would be right handed. There's no rhyme or reason to that. It's just to me, it's just if you've got the the stiffness of the era and you've got your archer's paradox tuned, you're gonna have minimal contact as possible. So with me, three three fletch provides more clearance but yet still has a lot of steering. So I shoot a right helical five inch right wing feather is what I do. And the reason I shoot the right wing over the left is it's easier for me to flex because the way the Bitsenberger jig is set up, it's like everything's out in front of you, whereas left wing, you're kind of going against the grain, and it kind of, you have to tilt your head a little bit to, to, to flex them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the right wing going away from you, and everything's visible, so I can see that I'm getting good adhesion when I'm flexing the right wing. I have no preference, really, whether it's spinning left or right, but for me... Uh, right wing has just always been easier to flex, and and I can breathe through them because, man, I, I there's no telling how many I used to have the when I had my store I had a 24 uh, bits and burger spindle you know on a lazy susan man and there's no telling how many arrows I've flexed in my life that'll so, that'll make um, a man out of you yeah it's just always it's just always been easier to have a a right wing and uh, yeah I'm I'm always it's a little noisier I agree you know but. Um, at the end of the day, like you said, when you're clawing it, when you, you know we can't be perfect with our release with a, with fingers, and you know there's more things to consider. There's a there's a human factor, way more of a human factor on a recurve. So we need that guidance. We need that forgiveness of a five inch feather. So um, I I know what tickles my fancy is seeing results and seeing accuracy. There's nothing that builds my confidence better than to see results and to see accuracy when you're out there practicing and stuff so um you know i'm not going to sacrifice speed or anything like that accuracy always wins in my book no no for for sure and i i think uh and i use i used to do right wing i I mean identical to what you just said is exactly what i did and then this year um yeah, and when I'm saying with a compound, and then 16, I followed the same thing. I used right wing, right helical, and then this year, um, I think for the simple fact, when I started shooting a stick bow again, they only had left bevel broadheads, and so I grabbed two left clamps because I was in a hurry, you know, for <laughs> going hunting down in Alabama, because uh, I just picked a stick bow back up, and uh, once I started with left 
this year, it made no difference to me. Like you said, it's left or right. It it spins, right? I don't I don't stress over it as long as it's spinning. So I went to left this year. There's no difference. Um, it's just now all my single bevel broadheads are left bevel, and I match them now. The bro science thing you were talking about, I heard all the same thing like in the 90s. You want it to spin. You know, guys would say, well, when it comes off the string, you want it to spin away from your riser. Well, I didn't know any better. It made sense to me. And you'd have other guys say, all right, you want it to spin into your riser, so you want right helical. And I'm like, huh. Well, as I found, you know, testing, it didn't matter either way. I could shoot groups with left helical and right helical and they'd still hit in the same spot with the proper tuned bow if it it wasn't properly tuned obviously things would go a little squirrely but um didn't really notice that big of a difference but what what broadheads are you shooting right now you i know you shoot the dead meats and frank's put uh frank isn't talking much here because i talk too much frank's put some (laughs) animals on the ground with those dead meats that's your kind of head isn't it isn't that your little baby yeah it is um um, we're real proud of that that head um and and again you know by all means, that is my head of choice. But there are so many great heads out on the market today, and and you know, pretty much all of them will kill critters. Um, you know, if you put them in the right spot. So um, I don't want to sit here and say, well, if you're not shooting, if you're not shooting this head, you're you know you're backing up. But I like it for a number of reasons. Um, it's all steel. It has two parts, two different types of steel, so that the thread and the ferrule part is a more pliable steel so that it doesn't, it's not brittle like a file so it doesn't snap and it's, you can basically take that thing and turn it 90 degrees and it won't break. So that, that lets me know that it's going to stay there with you, uh, throughout the penetration. A lot of times these broadheads get so brittle whether it's aluminum ferrule or too hard of a steel for the ferrule and as soon as it hits some type of bone it snaps and we all know that if you've got energy being transferred forward if the broadhead's not on there no more, it's not doing any damage. So we want it, even if it's been a little bit, once it hits, gets into the animal, we want it to still keep pushing and still, you know, the broadhead at the end result will probably end up being destroyed, but I'll gladly give up a broadhead for every critter I kill. If you hit something like that, you can, you can use them over and over and over. I don't want to, I don't want people to think they're made out of rubber or something like that. I'm just saying, if you hit something extremely hard, you know that that era, that, that barrel on that broadhead is not going to snap. And then, of course, the, the steel that the, the front part of the ferrule and the tip is made out of is, is extremely hard so that that tip will not bend or curl over or anything like that. And then one, another thing I'm real proud of is it's an extremely aerodynamic. For, for being an inch and a half plus cutting diameter, it's extremely aerodynamic so that it, it maintains your groups because it seems to be the the, the, the fad right now, everybody's shooting longer distances, 60, 70, 80 yards. And for those guys that are trying to achieve that, uh, you don't have to worry about the arrow dipping and diving as much. It's extremely uh, tight aerodynamics, so you don't have as many problems as far as that goes. And then the Blazer Exposed, it's a rear-deploying head. I'm not a fan at all of expandables that have to flip back over themselves because it robs the arrow of its kinetic energy or, or its energy period. And it can also, when it's doing the flipping, it can deter the path of the broadhead, therefore losing the energy out the left or the right and uh, deter the path of the broadhead. So that's another plus to the head. And then, uh, of course, uh, it's so easy to work with as far as uh, snapping them into place. And another thing that's real important to me is when the blades are deployed, that they are below 45-degree angle. A lot of these heads are achieving 
great cutting diameters, like an inch and three-quarter and two-inch, but the blades are almost out straight to where it's like a chop, like a hatchet. And we all know I would rather have a blade that is laid down in a 45-degree angle or less, so it's filleting, it's slicing, and it's not chopping, so therefore you get better penetration, more massive hemorrhaging. So, uh, you know, all these little checks, check things, uh, in my opinion, make it a, a head worth certainly looking into. And there, there are some other ones that are very similar to that, but, you know, I'm definitely partial to that dead meat. And besides, it's a dang great name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't, I don't know, did I shoot anything with those? I don't I know. You did most of the uh, piling up yeah, with I it. shot uh, f- quite a few whitetails with it. I don't quite have the expertise that you guys have, but one thing I noticed is we we tested out we tested out quite a few broadheads back when you were shooting the compound, and I think that one seemed to be the most accurate and consistent at longer ranges, and also uh, just spin when you spin them um, to make sure they're straight. They they think they were the one of the most precise ones where you had to do very little. Um, bending to get them straight if they were out of you know if they weren't as straight as you wanted them or you know completely straight or whatever so yeah i've had great luck with them and that's my uh that's my expandable of choice if i'm if i'm going to be using an expandable well and and keep in mind i didn't shoot any animals with them but i will say that is the most accurate and not all mechanicals are accurate especially those long feral bastards they uh they spin they wobble like crazy too that i will say that dead meat was the most accurate mechanical broadhead i've ever shot and i'm not just saying that to pump your tires up that thing at 100 yards was deadly like field point to field point and you know people are so full of shit when it comes to the well i shouldn't cuss sorry um you, it's uh, field point accuracy. Well, there's got to be some fine print on there, like if you spin your broadhead and your bow's tuned for one. And two, some of the crap that comes across the big ocean, um, the quality control uh, is just not there. And, and, and I didn't find that with a dead meat. They all spun great, and it's a shorter ferrule, which is good for that. But the longer ferrule yep. broadheads, even on a mechanical, will make a huge difference for point of impact. I mean, anywhere, really, but you're going to really notice that you push that 50, 60-plus yard mark, you are going to be surprised when you're even a mechanical will not hit even remotely close. Um, a fixed blade's way worse, and I don't think people realize that either. They grab those bad boys out of the package, screw them on, and off you go. you you got to do more work, fellas. you got to spin check every broadhead. you got to test them even on a mechanical, or, or I preach that anyway. I don't, I don't know. Well, what do you think? Oh, I, absolutely. I, I'm. Um, I, I have a uh, broadhead tuner um, that that I spin check. You know, a lot of people will take them on an arrow straightener and then just spin check them or or an arrow roller to see them. But the and uh, when I'll send you a picture of this this tuner that I have. It's uh and and it seems like no. You know, and I've showed this, and I pr- it's easy to prove. So I index. You know, a lot of people say, "Do you tune your broadheads?" Well. Well, most people say they feel like tuning your broadhead is aligning the the blades with your fletching. That, that, that is, in most guys' head, is tuning. Well, I call that indexing. And I'm not saying you have to line them up with your feathers. I just say that you need to make every one of your arrows a clone. It doesn't necessarily have to be lined up with your feathers. That is the easiest way to index them because it gives you a point of reference. But... Just as long as if you picked up all 12 of your arrows and they look like clones so that the aerodynamics from front to back is the same is by all means very, very important because they're not going to fly the same if they're not the same. 
And then you tune the broadhead by checking the point wobble. And and, and I'm not just going to blame the broadhead because there are several things that can change. Got to square the, the arrow. <laughs> yeah, it could be the arrow, uh, especially back in the aluminum day. It could be the arrow. It could be the insert. It could be the way the insert has been tapped. Uh, it could be a ferrule problem. There's a. It could be a, a glue tolerance, the way it was glued into the shaft. There's a four-point system there that, that starts from the top of the, the front of the broadhead to about three or four inches behind uh, the, the, the start of the shaft. So there's about an area there of four or five inches that, that dictates the tune of that broadhead and how straight it is. And people think, well, it's only off like four or five thousandths. That's not going to make a difference. Oh, buddy, it will make a big difference. You can take <laughs> pack of six broadheads, screw them onto an arrow, and you can go shoot at, say, 40 yards, because I, I like to do everything based off of 40 yards, and your group will be 8 to 10 inches. I can take that same, those same six broadheads, go inside, in, index them, and then put them on my broadhead tuner, which it has a dial indicator right over the top. You have a, you stick the broadhead inside of a, a bearing, it's a bearing um, that will accept the broadhead like it's penetrating the bearing. You'll, you'll see when I send you the picture. And the indicator's right over the top of the insert, so it's right behind the broadhead. And then I take, and you can you can mash it down, and I can take it. And my goal is to get every broadhead straight within two thousand. I like to be under one thousand, but I will accept two thousand. And that same group that I shot with just by screwing them in, like most everybody does out of the store, I can cut that group in half. I can take it down easily just by tuning the broadheads to where they spin check, you know, perfectly under two thousandths of a wobble. And I don't know what I'm, you know, you know, you, you, you may be bending the ferrule a little bit. You may be bending the broadhead just a little bit or, or changing that glue tolerance a little bit or, or, but you're, you're making sure that that broadhead is married to that shaft. And now it's on there. You take it off, you've lost the tune. You leave it on there and you know that that is going to shoot. You've got six or 12 perfectly matched indexed and tuned broadheads ready to go to the field. And that's what we would have to do. For years, and even when I, you know, there's a lot of places that you have to shoot fixed blades or critters that you'd rather shoot a fixed blade. And even on my recurve, um, I make sure that those arrows are tuned. And it, it, and, and I'm sure you'll agree, it makes your accuracy uh, extremely better. I can't employ, but but you're not going to get a broadhead manufacturer or any manufacturer to jump on that bandwagon because it makes their product look inferior. You know what I mean? They're not going to say hey, you need to buy our broadhead tuner. Well, you know, somebody's going to have to jump off that, jump off into that water and, and start that in order for people to get better at it, uh, uh, to admit that because it's not necessarily a broadhead thing, but they're afraid of the negative press it's going to get saying, you know, if a, a muzzy or whoever said, here's the broadhead tuner, this is how to make broadheads fly good. Well, then it's going to make their product it, look good. Man, it, that, it needs to be done. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be done big time. Well, and, and I do pretty much what you're talking about, and so, and I don't, I, I do not have a, I, I, I do the redneck version of what you're doing is what I should say, and, and a lot of times I'll spin, because I, I do square my air, I do blame the broadheads a lot, because I know the tolerance is 
on my, you know, minus maybe the glue, but I know for the most part, once I've got my arrow built, I've cut off both ends, I've cut off the wobbly end, whatever needs to be done. I square the arrow. When I put my components on, the tolerances on the arrows I shoot and components are extremely tight. And I'll spin just the the arrow with the components on it. And then I have one, uh, well, I have more than one. I have a couple different heads that are real long that are like basically perfectly trued, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And then I'll check them with, with those quickly. And when I, when I'm just building my arrows, just to check, because if you get a three inch long broadhead, uh, spinning well, you're good, right? Like you're probably going to be okay. But a lot of times when I was shooting mechanicals with those long ferrules, when I would spin them and I knew my arrow was good, as horrible as this sounds, I put it on the corner of the table, uh, with a magazine and flex it to, to true. And I, and I, I'm probably making, I'm not explaining that very well. I'd bend the oh, ferrule no, back <laughs> to where I needed it to yeah, be. No, yeah. And then this, uh, this broadhead tuner that I, that I have, it's called an ABBA, A-B-A-H. Um, very hard to find. I mean, if you get on an eBay list, you might see one pop up from time to time. They don't make them anymore. Um, you know, if somebody like yourself, uh, you know, you could go to a machine shop and probably have one made, but I, I'll send you a picture of this. You're gonna, you're gonna absolutely flip out over this thing. You're gonna, you're gonna want something like this big time. I've got a little broadhead spinning envy right now because Frank, you just, you started since you've known me. I, ha- you got an Apple spinner or a Pine Ridge. You know, the same one you were talking about earlier. Just spin the, the arrow on yeah. it, and I'll do that, and I'll spin like with the broadhead arrows, um, or the broadhead, the recurve arrows. I spin them all, and just because with those, there's a axe hanging off the end of your freaking arrow, right? You got to make sure those spin good, just like anything. And then I'll check them all. Where I really was, I'll just say, uh, man, are you are you involved with NAP at all? Oh no, I had issues with kill zones. Love the broadhead. <laughs> um, yeah, but they're the, long. They're super long, and it seems like they actually, they're towards the end, they changed manufacturers, blades were breaking off, man, it was it was bad. But we would spin them, and since they were so long, I would have to flex. If there was three, one or two, I would have to flex into trueness, which I don't mind. I geek out on this stuff anyway. But my point I want people to listen to and listen to, to T-Bone you can't just screw your crap on the end of your arrow and go shoot an animal. You have got to be anal retentive about everything. And uh, we're running at the mouth here, but whatever. When I take my arrows, I spin them on that pine ridge and see which end is the most crooked or if both are crooked. And then I cut from either both ends or one end or the other to get the straightest, whether it be the 28-inch arrow or 29-inch arrow I can get, where most pro shops, and I can understand there's a time constraint, they just put the knock end in and, and, and cut it. Well, the straightness is figured out off of a 28-inch span um, when they give you the, the tolerances, right, on um, when you read the specs of an arrow, and right. that's any 28 inches of that arrow. Um and so you don't always get that. So you need to even be pay attention when you're cutting your arrows down as you kind of go down the rabbit hole. And I mean, do you agree with that, or what do you do? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm. I'm. I, I sometimes am reluctant to tell to, to kind of share everything that I do because 
I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm OCD or anal in my life, but archery equipment I am. I mean, Nick and Michael give me fits all the time because of all the, the things that I've done. I guess it's because I was a tournament archer for so long, and I was used to seeing such good results tournament-wise. I'm like, why in the hell can I have that type of accuracy and forgiveness with a tournament bow? So I, I feel like I owe it to the animal, and I owe it to myself because, you know, I'm trying to achieve because I know, I mean, I know I can do better, I I try to to do better with my whole archery setup. So every time I can split a hair, man, I try to. And and then then when I have a shortcoming or fall short, it's not that bad. It's not catastrophic. It's it's you know it's acceptable. And I am fortunate enough to still you know be be uh be pretty accurate even when I do have a shortcoming on something or one of my steps. But yeah, absolutely. I've got a spine tester, something that that uh, another uh, thing that people don't talk about is when they're spine checking an arrow, and I find this true definitely with all carbon shafts, therefore that's why I'm such a fan of having aluminum inside the shaft because aluminum is a more consistent spine than carbon. However, carbon's way more popular because it's, um, it retains its energy quicker, you know, um, it stabilizes quicker, and it's cheaper to make, and it's um, it doesn't bend. It doesn't take a bend. So, you know, tournament-wise, I still shoot aluminum arrows. Um, I go through a lot more shafts, but nonetheless, when they're right, they are right. 100, 360 degrees, the spine is right. That's why I like an ACC, because it has the, the aluminum to keep the spine correct. Now, it does have a memory, not like a regular carbon shaft, but when they're right, they are right. With a carbon shaft... Um, if you'll look down a lot of, uh, maybe not your top-end carbon shafts, but you'll look down the end of it, you can see that, like, one side of the wall sometimes is thicker than the other. You know, and you, I have a spine, a bear paw spine tester, and you can take and test the spine of an arrow to see if it's a 400 spine, a 340, a, you know, 300 spine arrow. But a lot of times when they're checking the spine of the arrow, they're not checking the spine of the arrow 360 degrees. So you can take it and put it on a 28-inch stand, and you check it on the spine tester, and you can roll the arrow. And I'm not going to say every carbon arrow this way, but you can roll the arrow, and the spine will dip down. So it's like on one side, it's a 400 spine arrow, and then you can roll it 180 degrees, and it would dip down uh, as a 300 spine arrow. So it tells me that the spine is not consistent 360 degrees on that on that shaft, meaning like one side is different than the other. But, you know, arrow manufacturers are not going to go through the trouble or, as far as I know, they don't have a, a, a meter to check 360-degree spine. They just check it in one spot, it, it reaches this category, and it gets thrown into that pile. So I even go to the umps degree to check to make sure that I'm getting out of three dozen to get one dozen, I make sure that on the carbon shaft that the spine is as close to exact for the 360 degrees around as it possibly can be. And then also I do what you do, check the straightness, and if it doesn't make it within two thousandths, and then I trim from the front and the back if needed to be to get the straightest uh, 27 and three-quarter inch section that I need. Right, right. No, that, I know, yeah, that's good. I personally probably difference in it but i don't want that to be the reason i miss i want it to be me I, because i had a flaw was the reason i missed 
No, for for sure. And I, I've got to say, man, I am not a fan of the aluminum on the outside, carbon on the inside. I really, 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 Isaac, if you're listening, really would like them to go back to the carbon on the outside and the aluminum on the inside. I had less issues yep. with them bending. Um, the um, Obviously, the bad parts of aluminum are exposed, you know, with the aluminum on the outside. And yep. it, I about cried when they went from the ACC to the full metal jacket. Uh, literally, I may have shed a tear, actually. I think I did. Yeah. I, and I just, I had such good luck. And I, man, it... I hate to say it, man, you and I could have been twins, probably in our eating habits as well. I did the exact same thing you did. I cut off the unibushing thingy-dingy off the end. I ran the same knocks, did the same thing with ACCs. And I shot 371s because I shot 80-plus pounds. I shot 349s in tournaments. I shot hyperspeed sometimes, too. And I shot 20. Let's see if our big brains are super close. Do you shoot 2312s at 3D tournaments? Oh yeah, that's my ha. go-to. I Look at got... that, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> that's my go. That was I shot super Whatever switches. Whatever that means. No, <laughs> <laughs> I shot twenty-three twelves forever. I shot those uh, the super slam selects or the swedged. Um, yep. And uh, and I man, I had great luck. I mean, you'd go through with a good group. You may ding some up, but um, you know. But I, I shot actually pretty lightweight up front and initially with those 2312s to get my speed up and then as technology kind of went forward i was able to bump my point weight up on those 2312s but that was my my money shaft oh yeah yeah um it's it's been very good to me i've I've won i mean not not the two bone horn but won a lot of tournaments with it that has been by far and then sometimes i would take my my poundage down and try to get my holding weight i'd be working not so much on what I pull, but what I hold is way more important uh, when I was shooting tournaments. So, um, twenty-two twelve was a uh, was a, a, a good second shaft. Twenty-three and twenty-two twelve, because if you notice, the twenty-two twelve had I, to, to achieve the right FOC uh, had a higher point weight than what to achieve nine percent FOC. A twenty-two twelve had a hundred and two grain point, whereas a twenty-three twelve was a ninety-nine grain point. So you know, it, it told me that, that that shaft was a little stiffer than what it than than I, I don't know if it's the outside diameter versus the wall thickness combination, but it was to achieve the same FOC, you had to have more point weight. So um, I, I really liked having a little heavier point on that. I mean, it's only three grains. I don't know that I can shoot the difference, but it. it, it it was a positive check in my head, let's put it that way. I, I definitely noticed the difference because I used to shoot those crappy little PDP hot points, the red ones that if you farted on them, they dented. And uh, yep. I bumped up. You know, when I you learn over time, right, I started bumping up my point weight. And then, uh, well, we're close to I mean, we're a little, but remember those little green knocks? You pick up another three feet per second. You dry fire your bow all the time because they break. Yep, the the actually uh, quality archery design. I think it was a FS knock or yeah. I shot yeah. them for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I would. I'm going down memory lane here with you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I I look forward. I'm gonna but, but, you know make sure that when we uh, get off the phone, I'm gonna send you a picture of my broadhead tuner. I want you to I want you to see that thing. No, no, for sure. One thing, one more thing I want to cover before we go, just because we've been on an hour, because um, I'm the same way as you on holding weight, and I try to, it's hard to explain to guys like this when they, I put this and not be a grumpy guy, um, when a guy says a bow doesn't hold well to me, 
it's not necessarily that that specific bow doesn't hold well. It could be that that bow is 80% let off and he didn't even know it. And his last bow was 70 and a 70% yeah. let off bow with everything being equal generally is going to hold better back in the day. I would shoot 60, 65% let off. And if I shot tournaments again, that's probably what I would do now or shoot now because I hold so well with that. Um, I guess you could just say that tension against my body compared to 80, I can hold it back forever, but I'm holding back nothing. So I'm not as stable. And so I never really cared what my draw weight was, but I wanted my, I had a holding weight that I wanted to be within a pound of, um, whether I was shooting 64 pounds or I was shooting 72, I still had the same holding weight that I was comfortable with. Are you kind of anal retentive with that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always been a fan of low holding weight just because um, I shoot, um, you know, true back tension, a push-pull. The reason why we can hold a bow steady, uh, you know, like if you took a, like a 22 rifle at 50 yards and you're just standing out there and going to shoot it, you know, you're all over the place. Whereas a bow at 50 yards, you can hold the pin steadier because you have opposing forces. You're pushing and pulling. Now, to a guy that's buying a bow off the shelf in a store, he's going to pull, you know, he doesn't shoot all the time. You know, again, we're talking about the quote-unquote Billy Joe lunch bucket. He grabs the bow and he pulls it back and he feels 80%. And everybody does it. I've seen it, you know, because I had a store. They'd hold it out there man, I can hold this thing all day. And that does sell bows because it is comfortable and it is nice to know that you can hold it back. But if we're honest with ourselves, the whole reason we can hold a bow steady is opposing forces. Now, everybody has a certain weight that they, a holding weight. Um, so if you're, you know, I like 65%. Even with modern bows, I, I try to get the lowest weight modules or try to hold as much. And even if, even if the bow is not offered in 65 or 70% let off, with a lot of the bows that have a good firm wall, you can achieve that by, you know, kind of putting a little tension on that back wall and you can kind of create your own holding weight, so to speak, on a lot of different bows. I'm not saying that's the best way to do it, but you'll notice that with you, when you have low let off and you're holding more weight, you'll have those little shakes and such and you think like, gosh, this is not comfortable. I want to hold less. But if you're honest with your health, yourself, Low let off is more forgiving because uh, high let off, there's a little nanosecond of hesitation when the arrow is being released. And that gives your front hand uh, a chance to flex the torque or move a little bit, and that's what causes you to be off. If you're honest with yourself and you shoot 100 arrows with your, with your exact precise holding weight, whatever that may be, and, then, and usually holding a little bit more weight than what feels comfortable fatigue-wise, you'll notice that your groups are tighter and they're more forgiving. Um, if you shoot high holding weight, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, no, low holding weight, high let off, it's comfortable, but you're going to see flaws in your form and you're going to see a lot more fly flyers. And this is holds true with everybody. Now, hunting situations, there's a give and take. Sometimes you need to hold a long time. Maybe that buck steps behind a tree and you're, or, or the does behind the tree, and you're stuck at, you know, full draw. It sure is nice to have that, and, you know, you got to weigh out the pros and cons. Well, you know what? I want to be comfortable. I don't care about, you know, the the, the accuracy. It's not going to affect me that much, and that's what makes both sell. But me personally, I revert back to my tournament days, and I know that pushing and pulling and 
shooting back tension releases, I know that it's way more forgiving, and I know that it's um, um, g- going to be more accurate for me, even though I may have a little bit of the fatigue set in and the little the little minute shakes. I know that I can aim humming through those shakes to get the accuracy that I need, if, if that makes sense. I tried my best to explain it. No, no, that makes perfect sense. And that's one of the reasons I think, uh, and I've tried to explain this to guys, why I could shoot 80, 85 pounds uh, probably better in some cases, I was strong enough to pull it as my holding weight was where I was comfortable with. So I'm not now, everybody listening, don't go buy an 80-pound bow if you can't pull back. I mean, shoot what you are comfortable with. But for me, since even though it was an 80% let off bow and I was shooting 85 uh, pounds, that holding weight was back to where I wanted it to be. If that that probably doesn't make the most sense to some people, but if I'm shooting a 65% let off bow at 70 pounds and I'm shooting an 80% bow at 85 pounds, my actual holding weight's pretty close to the same. Um, even though there's a 15 exactly. pound difference, and that's why. I mean, obviously, knock on wood, I haven't had any shoulder issues. I'm not saying it's good to draw that heavier weight back, but for me, I was able to shoot 80, 85 pounds extremely accurately, and that's one of the reasons why is that holding weight. So I agree with you. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with an 80% let-off bow at 70 pounds, but if somebody tested it themselves, I bet they'd find out they'd be a lot more accurate or definitely see a noticeable difference in accuracy with lower let off. And it doesn't happen very often for me that I have to hold back forever. It happens, but it doesn't happen as often as people probably think, or it hasn't happened for me in, in my hunting career, I guess. I just know that I always hear people, you know, working retail for so long, that would be a concern for a lot of people. I know that they would voice that concern. And we got to be honest, there's, there's a uh, you know, you and I, we shoot, you know, arrows, you know, every week, and we shoot a lot of arrows all year long. The masses that are archery hunters, and we're proud to have them, you know, and if you're in the sport, we we want to support it. But most folks pick up their bow two weeks before season and, you know, run two or 300 arrows through it in those two weeks, and that's going to be about it. So the, the, we, we get it. Probably would benefit more by having higher let off. And, and that's, what, you know, I'm sure these bow companies have done these studies to make the bows more comfortable in it and it 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 is more suited to the village of lunch bucket but for a guy that's going to shoot some and we're just shedding this light so that the people can see if you did shoot more and you did do these studies on your own you're going to see that holding more weight or not you don't want to pull 80 pounds just like Aaron said you want to be able to have the the exact holding weight which is right for you uh, you're going to see that it's going to be more forgiving a good analogy is let's revert back to the the recurve you know, if, if, if a recurve shooter, not a recurve shooter, but a finger shooter, so, you know, we've got it easier, and with innovations, you've got a uh, release and a shoot-through style rest, and all these things make it make us more um, uh, accurate and more forgiving, but if you was to shoot fingers off of a compound bow, you wouldn't want 80% let off because you're, you're strumming the string. Your release is going to be magnified, and you're going to have really a lot of problems. The reason why we can shoot a recurve so well is because you're you're if you're pulling 55 pounds at you know 28 inches you're holding 55 pounds at 28 inches and that that i like to use the analogy of that string is being ripped from your fingers so you can't have a lot of archer's paradox i mean it's being ripped more in a straight line whereas if you're at full draw with a compound and you're only holding like 10 pounds back there and as soon as you start to relax your fingers to to get a good shot that string is going to 
big time roll to the left or to the right, and you're going to have a lot of archer's paradox, which is going to give you problems down the road. So, you know, finger shooters want to hold a lot of weight so that it, you get a good clean release uh, with your fingers. So, same holds true release-wise. It's just magnified more with a finger shooter. No, for for sure. Um, so, fi- final question here before we get off. Are you going to hunt with the struggle stick this year some, or are you going to stick with the compound for most of them? No, I, you know, I'm a fan. Of, everybody asks us that. I, I've killed several deer with a recurve, and, uh, you know, back back throughout the 2000s, I haven't shot a recurve. I mean, I've shot a recurve here in the yard and fiddled with it and stuff like that, but I haven't hunted with a recurve in probably five or six years. But, no, I am going to. Uh, actually, Fred Eichler sent me a, uh, a Satori about two or three years ago, and I've, I've never really set it up i mean i put the string on it and fired it a few times but i haven't really set it up and i've got a an old game master that i've had for years and that thing has been so tried and true but uh no i'm gonna i'm gonna hunt with it i'm gonna shoot with it um probably do some you know stuff on social media tutorials and stuff i shouldn't say tutorials because by no means am i a professional recurver but I, i am an avid fan of the flight of the era so i will do some you know stuff just kind of documenting the, the the recurve shooting and how it's going but um i'll always you know shoot the compound but I, i'll be i'll be uh switching back and forth Even, uh, we're a fan of any i mean that's not what my go-to is but if it's legal and uh it's that's all about flinging an arrow we're supportive of it no no for sure i'm gonna steal the uh we may put that on a t-shirt i'm gonna put i'm a good recurver <laughs> that's a good one oh lord yeah. well we'll have to hopefully at some point in time we can go hunt together man or, or uh when i'm down in alabama or we can go fling i i'm all about them does man i uh i cannot i think our processing bill was like 1500 bucks this last go round. but man we get bacon wrap back straps we get these bacon wrap cube steak popper things and man i can't get enough of it Oh yeah, absolutely. I, and I, I've got a, uh, I just, I, I have my own place here, which is about 85 acres, and it butts up to 2,000 acres that I uh, just leased last year. So yeah, I mean our season's out here now this year, but I'd, I'd love to, you know, have you come by. I got a, a good place to stay. Come by, and we'll uh, do more uh, brainstorming. I, I love it. That's 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 why I'm in this sport. Is exactly what we've been talking about for the last hour. No, for for sure, and my my uh, me and Frank's partner in uh, in uh, we got we have a, a arrow company we have, and and he's got land. He's from Alabama, and uh, he's got a pile of land that he leases down there. So one way or another, you come visit us, or we'll come visit you and do some hunting together, and uh, pile up some does. Because uh, I mean, I can't imagine. I'd like to race you on who eats more wild game a year. I'm not sure who would win, but man, we have we have <laughs> deer every night, and I love it. <laughs> Absolutely, I my. My freezer is full. I might could squeeze maybe a, a half a dough in there right now, but, but uh, it's full right now. Uh, well, cool. Man, it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you. I'm finally glad we got to wrap a little bit, and uh, it's kind of cool. It kind of mirror image a lot of the different stuff, uh, setups and things and, and everything else through time. So it's been awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on. No, absolutely. I, I, I really appreciate it. Look forward to it, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch and hope we haven't uh fried a lot of people's brains with how in depth we went today <laughs> oh i'm sure we got out we got a pretty wide so we got a wide variety of guys that listen in so we've got guys that are really in depth and then guys that need to hear it to learn or at least give them some ideas so i think it was a good good conversation and definitely looking forward to getting you back on sounds good man i appreciate it yeah we're 
we're uh, diving into the podcast too, so I'll have to have you on ours whenever we get it rolling. Cool. No, that sounds good, man. And uh, yeah, well, if I don't uh, talk to you, um, I'll honk when I'm driving by when I'm down in Alabama. <laughs> good. Stay in touch. All right, brother. Take it easy. Thank you. Yep. Bye bye.